Hello, and thank you so much for tuning into the Education Burrito, podcast that unwraps the everyday challenges in learning and teaching in education, exploring the ins and outs and highs and lows and different pedagogy approaches, enhancing student engagement amongst everything in education. My name is Q-Sum, and each episode I'll be joined by special guests as we unwrap the Education Burrito. I am super excited to be joined in this episode by someone who is a gut physiologist, a nutritionist who has researched functional foods and health in academia and industry. She's currently the head of herbal research for Pucker Herbs and working with students and universities to research the effects of herbs on human health. Prior to that, she has led bioscience education in many UK universities for over a decade. She also involved in open educational resource projects such as the UK Open Textbooks. What's more, she was awarded a National Teaching Fellowship in 2011 and is a Principal Fellow of the Higher Education Academy. If that's not enough, she also won the Learning Technologies of the Year Award in 2009 from the UK Association of Learning Technology in recognition of her use in animation. Wow. Well, I just want to welcome Dr. Vivian Rove. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. Was that me? Did I do that? <laughs> uh, wow, you've done, done an awful lot. I think um, I would. I don't think I would just uh, go and list out everything that you've done because that's just too much to list out. <laughs> I think. Um, but yes, welcome to the podcast. And I think just let us start us off then, and for the listeners to get to know you and I a bit more. Is that what one interesting thing have you done recently? One interesting thing recently. Um, I had a call today with a researcher in India. Um, so Paka Teas, who I work for, are due to launch um, some teas in India. And we were talking about what research we might do to support that. And I was learning a lot about Indian health, Indian culture, and how we might approach that. So that's that was wonderful. Wow, so you are branching out into, uh, into other countries, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's a global role, and uh, yeah, it's it's an absolute honour and a, a privilege to be 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 able to do that and learn so much from other people and their approaches. That's brilliant to hear. So I think let's get stuck into what I wanted to invite you on. Um, so I've been following your work, um, you know, following the fantastic work you've done over the past so many years. You know, the benefits of students co-creators and how to build you know interest networks and partnerships uh, through the use of open education resource. For those who kind of not quite sure what that is, um, do you want to just give us a bit of background about it? Yeah, for sure. Um, Open Educational Resources or OER. So um, in the UK, we had HEFKE funding for OER research and projects. I think it was in about 2008, so in eight, nine and 10, well, for three years anyway. Um, so an OER is any learning resource, so it doesn't have to be an animation, it could be some uh, teaching plans, it could be a set of assessment questions, or it could actually be an entire textbook, could be an OER. It, it's a resource that um, a university can produce that critically has a Creative Commons license on it, an open license, that then can be reused and shared by any students or any teachers anywhere. Um, so it's a way of sharing your academic work, really. And, and through that, you know, as you mentioned, some of the unex, unexpected consequences are then becoming part of networks of people that do that 
or suddenly there was a group of people just interested in an animation. So by sharing, you're also networking and, and um, create, creating a bigger group. So that's what an OER is, Open Educational Resource. So yeah, that's very good actually. That kind of I'm learning as I go along in this conversation as well. I mean, yeah. how did you start it? You know, it's a big, it's a big thing. How did you start it? Did you just thought one day I'll wake up and say, let's start this project? You know, I had I, my first academic job. I was in industry before when I went back into universities. I went to the University of Nottingham teaching nursing students, and I was just naturally sharing my lecture notes and stuff on a website on the web anyway it's it i yeah as an academic it just feels a natural thing to do if you're producing stuff that can be useful for people why don't you share that um so i i'd always understood the philosophy behind it so what really initiated it was it was hefke funding at that time so the whole of all the university um and higher education authorities and agencies were differently structured even 10 years ago um, so Hefke had this funding for open educational resources um, and it worked with JISC, who are based in Bristol, who then were the programme management team. And it was three years of funding and they must have done dozens and dozens of projects across universities and different subject groups. Um, it was a massive, massive um, initiative at the time involving lots of people. Um, so that's how I got started because I was lucky enough to get some of the funding to then support sort of further development of those projects. That's great Vivian, that's great. Um, so from what I've seen and kind of read about it um, prior to this conversation we're having now, um, I see you've kind of got students involved, you know, all the student engagement I'm kind of big on and I'm just wondering if you can share a bit about how your students got involved in your projects and throughout your whole yeah. other stuff that you've been doing really. Definitely. I mean, what probably the, the most happiest I was in my academic career back then was at De Montfort University. Um, and they really, really supported me in helping me get them funding and, and setting up these projects in the university that was working with li uh, library staff who were amazing technology staff. Um, and I was in the, I can't remember what department, allied health department. So I was teaching biomedical sciences. Um, and so it just seemed a natural choice, really, instead of, you know, creating the content myself you know how can we involve students in that process and it was everything from getting them to record lab skills in a practical and just sharing the video with the group right through to when i was delivering lectures i'd say right in the last 10 minutes you write me a multiple choice question um, and then we put those questions on blackboard so they then have a resource and a quiz for each lecture um, and then you know as a group, we then decided, hey, we could share some of this stuff with open licenses out on the web. Um, and that's exactly what we did. So I um, supporting all of those projects are, I think, three blogs that are over 10 years old, that are still well used. People can get the resources through YouTube and other areas. Um, so it was fantastic. And the students were at the heart of that. But then as a lecturer what i realized is they were gaining a huge amount through being involved in that process it, it just wouldn't have been the same if i was just sat at home writing all that content you know having to write multiple choice questions really they're really hard to write aren't they as an academic <laughs> don't we hate doing that exam time but it it made the students understand that type of assessment 
and it really made them think about their science you know coming up with questionable alternatives is really hard so i think they they didn't just gain through being involved in the project they actually learned a lot of skills um some of them i know that did fantastic videos went on into teaching because they suddenly found their creative talents and it was just such a mutually beneficial time um it was just so thoroughly enjoyable mm. um yes so the, the the projects were based in allied health sciences really around biomedical science but the time the three years have ended it just had expanded across the university so there was an art student who came and then did a load of wonderful anatomical uh, artwork wow. there was a had, had a few students from the technology department then making interactive games it was just fabulous it was as i say one of my happiest academic times that this creativity was going on and, and lots of people were benefiting from it it was great that's brilliant to hear and i can't imagine how you know getting, going back to what you mentioned earlier on regarding um writing exam questions i don't think i'm at that stage yet so i don't know exactly how that feeling is um you know not quite sure how how you felt about that but i can always Sure, yes, as a student, I'm, I, get, I do get a bit scared when I uh, see exam questions, no matter how much, you know, you've revised and so forth. But, you know, engaging you know, your students through this work you've done, it, it sounds amazing that you were able to kind of branch out to other departments, the disciplines. And how did your colleagues feel about that when they saw, like, it's like Vivian is coming with her, with this project? Uh, <laughs> yeah. How did your colleagues feel about kind of, this type of work? I think I think everyone was really excited because um, I mean one thing I would say is is a lot of that activity came from the students themselves and talking to their housemates and there was one guy and he did the university radio um, but, but but also what happened through that growth of that network is local hospitals then wanted to get involved um, and so we we did another project specifically around resources for sickle cell uh, and blood um, hemoglobin disorders. And suddenly local hospitals wanted to share um, anatomy resources or histology images or, you know, um, set case studies and sets of data. And of course, then there's all the privacy and all the ethics and the licenses, all these like layers of stuff then you need to sort of understand before you can create stuff and share it openly. But it, it was, I think the departmental colleagues could see the benefits of suddenly greater links with the local hospitals, which helped some of them that were more active researchers, for example. Mm. Um, so that was just yeah one of the un unexpected benefits, really, of being involved um, in OER at that time. No, that's good. I think as a science student myself, um, well, nutrition, we, we learn what I've learned about um, in anatomy and physiology. And I quite like all the interactive stuff, but I'm quite, I very much like the books as well. I like the flicking yeah. through the books, you know, looking at the anatomy and then, I don't know, I'm an old school person. As much as I like technology, it's like, you know, having the skeleton right there and you point to it. Yeah. Um, but it's fantastic to hear how your students kind of collaboratively come up with these resources, right? Not just making or helping them to learn um, about physiology and anatomy um, and passing their degrees. But actually it's helping you isn't it as a as an academic to kind of generate these resources to be used further in, in the in the future um and how are they how they be used at the moment are they still is it still going strong um i can't 
France. Well, actually, um, I did some research to revisit De Montfort. I can't remember now, maybe four or five years ago. And actually, the OERs were still embedded within curriculum. I mean, the, the trouble with any innovation, as soon as people move on or retire, um, it, you know, it loses its currency there. But they were, were still using them. They had QR codes up in the labs where students in the first year particularly were learning skills. They could go on the QR code and then and then watch the video first. So it was amazing to see them still using the resources there. Um, but I can't say whether that is the case sort of in 2020. That's where we are, isn't it? Um, well, then what I would say is because all the content now is openly and freely available on these blogs and via YouTube and, and elsewhere, and I do keep an eye them, on them from time to time, you know, people are still accessing them and using them, which is great. Mm. You know, um, they've really, really, really had a great uh, or left a great legacy in, in a way from a project that was, you know, started 12, 13 years ago. Um, and you can't say that of a lot of projects. You know, there's a lot of funding and higher education funding that do does go into teaching projects. And there was lots of other OER projects and there were settles and other big funding schemes before. And you, you can't find resources anymore. And that's always quite a shame there was a lot of good stuff out there so it's great that these can live on a little bit i think definitely and i think you really touch on the benefits in terms of bringing those like you know oer into the open and you know the educational spaces um in today's kind of society as well but what are the risks i just want to understand there's always the benefits but what are the risks um to bringing those into the space yeah i think they're they're it was a really interesting one because we also were looking at different medical areas and medical case studies at the time and we then decided actually there was some content that we don't think we'd want to openly share maybe content that's a bit more sensitive to the public um, so that was potentially a risk um the, the one risk i remember is electra shared a research report i think it was with an open license on which then states please reuse this um, as long as you attribute me like giving a reference if you're referencing a paper um, and the report actually didn't get attributed back which was a real shame because um, the original writer didn't get the credits for the resource um, so that that's the one risk if people don't really play fair or don't actually understand open licensing and the system but I, I for the for the hundreds and hundreds of resources that went out i can only think that that actually happened once um so yeah but there you know it's the risks is one thing but actually it's understanding the licensing and the things like the ethical considerations that might sometimes have to go with it also need thinking through um, but there was a lot of support from, from Hefke and particularly JISC um, at the time and there was a great team of people who helped us through all of that so um, we, we were well supported at the time which was great. How about your students then because obviously under li understanding licenses and all the all these stuff I think for a student how how did they take it did they have to did they what did you provide them with training or support uh, yeah. because obviously they're the one who kind of helped you to go and um, get those resources um, yeah. from a student's point of view that's all yeah that's that's a really good question I, I remember one piece of work we did in one project was actually uh, 
it was led by the library team and they got students to form almost like a focus group and to discuss some of those issues. Um, and I think what we concluded is probably like a lot of people, not just students, maybe other lecturers, people are using resources on the web all the time anyway. And sometimes they're not looking for the license or it doesn't really matter. And I, I think students were a lot more confident at, and better at finding great resources to help their teaching on the web anyway. Um, and they didn't always have to be openly licensed. But once they understood what an open license was, they then realised, well, actually, I can reuse that maybe in an assignment or I can take that diagram and adapt it and help with my learning. Um, and probably the greatest example of that at all is the fact you, particularly in America, there's a massive movement around uh, what they call OER is, in fact, an entire textbook. So you can get all your course textbooks as open resources for free. And it's saving students there hundreds of pounds uh, and students there that understand the licenses understand, hey, I can take that anatomy book. And you said you, you love annotating books. You know, they could take a book um, and make their own version of it. You know, maybe put their own quiz questions in, add some different diagram so they can create more of a sort of a live textbook to support their learning because it's an open resource. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think in America they've used OER in a different way, um, but it's helping students tremendously there. Before we move on to another aspect of the, of the work that you do, I just want to ask, for those who are listening right now, um, if they're feeling a bit less confident, not very confident in terms of wanting to, to do this, what are your top tips in terms of getting stuck into this sort of thing? Yeah, I, th I think you've got to go back on the web and find some of the reports and information that were produced by the Open Education Resource Programme in the UK. Um, and GIST would have a lot of resources there. I would say the amazing thing about that community at the time, I mean, as I say, a lot of things get funded and then disappear and come and go. But the community of people that formed at that time, you know, over 10 years ago, are still together and they have an annual conference that is supported by the Association of Learning Technology now. So if anyone looks at um, OER18 sort of hashtag or OER19 or OER20 on Twitter or other social media spaces, they'll find that OER conference that meets every year. And it it's evolved so amazingly now that it's not just exploring what a resource is, but it's really become quite advanced in terms of well, what are the what are the pedagogies that OER can create? Um, and almost, I mean, it's beyond, as a scientist, it's gone in a direction that I would say is, is very sort of social sciences. It's exploring inequalities. It's, it's doing some incredible things and asking some really interesting questions of higher education. So it's an absolutely fascinating group of people. Um, I went to the conference last, about two years ago now. Um, but yeah, I would I would love to go again. They they're a great group, and they would be more than happy to support anyone, um, and uh, yeah, help anyone with if they wanted to get started with open open content. Wow, guess I need to put that in my diary for another conference to go to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, and I would say the the Association of Learning Technology are I think real enlightened organisation, and they do a lot of. For a long time, they've done virtual conferences. 
um, you know, where you don't have to pay and go and visit, um, you know, which is very appropriate for now, isn't it? And uh, the OER conference is all about enabling people to participate, whether it's online, you know, the technology setup they have, I, th I think is, is, uh, is uh, really pioneering. So you could go and participate with actually having to go if you didn't want to. So that's why I love them as a group. They're very inclusive. It's, it's very good. Yeah, that's brilliant to hear, especially now when everything is online, isn't it? You can be sit, sit at home exactly. on your sofa, on your bed and just log in to yeah. anywhere across the world um, and just join it. I was, um, I think over this, this, uh, this past few months, I was um, at home, but then I was kind of joining in webinars and meetings in like Australia yeah. and so forth. So it's quite interesting yeah. to see how other people were talking about the set kind of stuff that I, I'm into um, and it's it's fantastic to meet other people I guess from um, just from a click of a button these days isn't it so yeah do do go ahead and check out OER for any listeners uh, who want to know more about so the other thing that I kind of want to find out more is about your current role actually um, at Pucker Hubs it's very it's very fancy isn't it the title the head of the herbal research and I just want to kind of find out a bit more about what you do with students um, and engaging students for your role. Great, oh well, thank you so much. Um, yeah I left academia then well, it was just about three years ago now. I have moved between academia and industry, I like moving around. Um, so I've had a research role before. Um, so yeah I was taken on as head of herbal research. So it's a herbal tea company, um, so it makes teas from herbs, so turmeric, chamomile, uh, you know, the lovely herbs you'll find in your back garden. Um, and it, it's been an absolute oh, uh, eye-opener to me. I knew very little about herbs, apart from that I liked herbal teas. But the, the science, the research, the whole traditional medicine arena behind it is absolutely extensive. And I felt really humbled and also a bit shamed that I'd had a long scientific career in doing biomedical science, you know, having gone through university and a PhD myself, you know, doing pharmaceutical research, biomedical research, and no one at all had mentioned the importance of plant-based medicines. So I've had my career almost turned upside down now, where I think we need to be doing a lot more around plant-based medicines and research from these amazing, amazing um, organisms. Um, so that's my role. I yeah set up research partnerships with the universities um, to do human studies. So we might be looking at the effects of turmeric on cognitive function. We might be looking at the effects of a whole variety of herbs on microbiome. So we're doing really weird and wacky things with herbs um, with about 11 or 12 UK university partners now, but probably one of the most enjoyable bits of my job is where can I bring the students in? So, because um, I really missed that from, I so missed it when I joined Pucker and I wasn't teaching and I wasn't interacting. So I, I did the best I can to reach out to as many universities as possible and say, can I come and give a seminar so I can keep, keep that interaction going, but also bringing students in for work, work experience, internships over the summer, um, we do other things like we might buy the consumables to sponsor a practical. So we did that at Bath University. It's like, can we buy all your stuff if you do a practical on turmeric? And they told me, we're already, already doing a practical on turmeric, but let's look at your teas. So 
again, it's that two-way relationship. You know, I might get some pilot data or I might not, but the students have had an experience of, you know, working with an industrial partner um, and understanding the almost the, the different research philosophies that there are. It's not just all about biomed and pharmaceutical science. There's, there's nutritional science, there's herbal science, um, and they, these are all jobs and career opportunities. So, yeah, I, I do what I can to involve students, and it's always a utterly rewarding and incredible uh, experience. Um, yeah, so I think we've had we've had 22 in the two and a half years that I've been there. So lots of interns, right through to sponsoring uh, masters students and PhDs. Mm. But that's brilliant to hear and I think from a student's point of view we're always kind of looking out for these opportunities because we don't necessarily get those skills you know working in the industry and seeing how a business is being run um, at its university um, and especially when you don't have placement years I think having opportunities such as these you know sponsoring um, by a company like yours into practicals we see how the herb you know has an effect um, in the research that they're doing or, um, or in the science um, in the botany lessons I think um, and I remember when I was in a, in a botany class I think in my degree one of our lecturers she brought in a whole tree <laughs> wow just to show us uh, <laughs> and a small aspect of it but it's actually see it, seeing the whole tree that makes us make it more interesting because otherwise you can just go um, onto a website or into a book looking at in a mm -hmm. diagram and it's so different when you have like a hands-on experience and I think like practicals and working up working with you and um for the, so for those lucky students working with you kind of get those experience as well yeah. and i think definitely that university should work with industry a bit more i think do you think so you know I, oh i think so and i think i think there's lots of i mean you know we, we're in a remote working culture now you know how long is this going to go on for but you know i i think the whole student experience needs to be reconsidered and this is what i'm trying to think about and write about at the moment you know students need laboratory experience and industrial experience but how are we going to do that in a remote way i haven't got too many answers yet but i i think i think it needs to be carefully considered and i was i was looking into it a bit and i was seeing you know if you look at the industrial reports on what industry is expecting from graduates and students Actually, there, there seemed to be a whole whole change in the um, in the sort of requirements of some subject areas away from the lab and more towards bioinformatics, biovisualization, computational science. So therefore, there's scope to develop new curricula, I think, in, in much needed areas that actually would facilitate remote work and remote study. So I think we've just got to factor that into the student experience. And, and you know future workings of universities a bit more mm. but yeah I'm only just starting to think about that and what, what remote industrial placements might look like how do you give that student a really worthwhile experience if you're not physically in the office together mm. this can be a difficult one mm. I think that's a that's a good point I then kind of touch on the next question I have for you actually like yeah. To, looking at the work that you've done with the OER and your current role at Pucker as well how do you think your work um will evolve or change in higher education or in the years to come oh that's a, that's a difficult question <laughs> how is it going to change well i oh, i don't know i mean all i know that it does continually change because 
I've always liked to move around, so I really almost wouldn't know what I would do next. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, what? How might it change? How might it change? I mean, I would like to be able to expand what I'm doing at Pucker and have more... To bring all of our amazing scientists together, I think, would be my next step. And I've probably got about 60 people on my Christmas card list now in terms of students <laughs> and collaborators. And wouldn't it be amazing to bring them together and say, OK, we're all interested in herbal medicine and natural products. What do we need to do with it next? Yeah, I think I have just answered my question, which I thought was a hard question. But I think that that's what I would like to do is yeah, bring people together more, um, have a bit more of a permanent network and reach out to global communities as well. Uh, and we learn in the, you can learn an enormous amount from researchers in Asia who are completely uh, at the fore in, in sort of traditional medicines and North America too. So bringing in sort of indigenous cultures and different perspectives to really sort out some of the big world problems of which there's a growing list. <laughs> mm, I completely agree. Is that ambitious yeah. enough? <laughs> well, I think we'll just have to keep an eye out on what you do next, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's, I think it's, a, it's fantastic, you know, the work that you've done uh, with the OER now your 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 work at Pucker as well I think there's a lot for us to think about uh, into how can we collaborate with other people who is not necessarily in our own field um, and just yeah. cast our network a bit further away um, and just, just come yeah. up with more projects or more work or less work or I don't know <laughs> but I think it's just an opportunity isn't it for people to to come together maybe you can bring your OER work back um, and implement it now your Pucker who knows <laughs> yeah I've often thought that I've often thought is there a room for OER right now I mean what I have done at Pucker is engage so the so open education very much applies to teaching but there's a whole field of open science that now also applies to research so sharing data openly publishing openly blah 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 um, you know as a young student and researcher I'm sure you know all of this stuff um, but yeah, so I'm I'm trying to understand more about open science and how we can share what we're doing openly um, in those different communities. But uh, it, I, I don't feel confident in, in doing an, a lot of that yet. I'm just trying to learn about that myself. That's great. OK, so I think we're going to end with a fun part now. Well, I think it's fun. I okay. don't know. <laughs> we're going to have a short firing <laughs> round uh, for our listeners to know you a bit more okay. so i've got a few questions well just a list just a list of questions um we'll see how you go um it's quite easy um well hopefully it's easy um we'll just let's see how it goes all right so question one if you are to pick one learning and or teaching platform or tool what would it be oh supposed to be an easy you know, question I know, I know, but uh, I, I, I would, I would have picked Twitter, but Twitter from ten years ago. Uh, it was a great collaboration tool for lecturers to connect around the world. I'm a bit less confident with Twitter now and the conversations on there. Fair enough. But yeah, that would be my answer. <laughs> Three words to describe yourself as an educator: um, passionate, inclusive, creative iPhone or Android? Android. What do you do to recharge your energy after a long, stressful day of work? 
you know, I have to say my work isn't stressful. I, I have the most amazing job and I will enjoy a cup of, cup of tea. <laughs> nice one. Other than your and phone. And then a beer. And a bit. <laughs> Other than your phone, what would be the one best thing to carry around, show students and or colleagues in the corridors? Oh, my saxophone, I think. Yes, make some noise. That's fantastic. Next one. What's your favourite hashtags? Oh my gosh. Women in STEM, Black Lives Matter, Fem Ed Tech. Ah, good one. Tea or coffee? I have to say tea. Favourite day of the week? Oh, Friday. Don't you love Fridays? <laughs> Invisibility or super strengths? Oh, 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 invisibility. Yes. Be that fly on the wall in those meetings. Yes. Polka dots or stripes? Oh, spots. Spots all the way. Next one. Trumpet or horn? Oh, that's hard. Uh, depends what key it's in. I want one in B flat, so trum <laughs> trumpet. I know you're a saxophone player, so I didn't put that in. <laughs> I have just bought a euphonium, you know, and it's in B flat. <laughs> to, all, to any of our listeners, if you want to play the saxophone, ask Vivian. <laughs> Next one. If you could teleport right now, where would you go? Oh, you know, um, just a very simple sandy beach somewhere, I think. I've really missed the sea. Maybe Barbados. I'll just go for it. And that maybe that little shack on the seafront that does a really mean rum punch, I think. Yes. That one. <laughs> Do you want to go? Favourite learning and teaching hero? Learning and teaching hero. Oh, whoa. Um, who's really inspired me? Well, I have to say, Mr. Terry McAndrew, who was at when the Higher Education Academy had bios, had subject centres. My first lecturing job, uh, I got introduced to the bioscience subject centre. And we're still a little bit of a network. And Terry McAndrew was their IT person and he taught me so much and I'm here today because of Terry. So he's great. my hero. And finally, because our podcast is called The Education Burrito, what's your favourite burrito filling? Oh, well, you know, if you've not heard of Parry Grip, you should. And he has done a lot of fast food songs and he has a song called Breakfast Burrito. So a burrito with a lovely fried egg in it. And I won't sing it to you, or I might, but uh, your listeners also have to go up and look look at Perry Grip's breakfast burrito song because it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. Well, that's all we have time for <laughs> in this episode. And um, if our listeners want to find out more about what you do, Vivian, how can they do so? Um, yeah, I'm really happy to contact people through Twitter, just Vivian Rolf, or you know, people. If they just Google and find me somewhere on, on the internet, I'm always happy to talk to people or, yeah, I'd love, love to hear about their research, their ideas, their teaching as well. Yeah, they're most welcome to. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. And a massive big thank you to, uh, to you, Dr Vivian Rove, for joining us today and sharing us your work at POCA and both the work that you that's do great. with thank OER Thank you so much well. for inviting me. It's been a lovely conversation and, um, yeah, wish everyone well. 
Wow, what a fantastic conversation ahead with Dr. Vivian Rolfe in regards to her work in OER and now the work that she's doing at Poker Herbs, working with students and university across the UK to engage with them outside their universities. Thank you so much for your time and tuning into the Education Burrito. Make sure to hit the subscribe button on whichever platform you're listening on so you'll never miss a show. So be sure to like it and share it on social media, tagging us at hashtag the Education Burrito. We are always looking to engage with a wide group of staff and students in our community. So if you fancy coming onto the show, do drop us a message as we unwrap learning and teaching in the Education Burrito.